Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. The greatest compliment I can pay to the opening weekend of the season is to ask the question, is the Premier League now actually underhyped? You're welcome to the Second Cabins Football Podcast. Owen, Ken and Murph here. Hi, Owen. When are they going to stop hiding their light under a bushel? Exactly, Murph. Nothing in the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of preseason talk could have prepared us for the torrent of amazing storylines that unfolded after the last three days. Take your pick. I'd like you. I'd like you both to take your pick. Actually, Arsenal fans dusting off their Wenger out signs before Ramsey and Giroud saved them against Leicester. Thirty-one-year-old Wayne Rooney leaping like a sixteen-year-old Wayne Rooney. I like that to one. Score for Everton. I like, yeah, I like the Rooney celebration. I know Murph's favourite one already. The Stephen Ward rocket. Oh, it was. It was a, I happened to be watching it live as well. I mean, 13 goals before 3 p.m. on the Saturday yeah. of the first <laughs> weekend. Liverpool against cool. Watford sharing six goals. Two strikes by Lukaku in his debut at Old Trafford. I don't know, yeah. A lot of, a lot to choose from there, Ken. You're sick with Rooney, yeah? Yeah, although, I mean, does it have to be just Premier League? No. Because I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to otherwise pick Cristiano Ronaldo <sighs> standing with his shirt off as Gerard Piquet kneels on the field and looks over at him in despair uh, after Ronaldo has scored one of the best goals of his life um, about a minute before he managed to get himself sent off against Barcelona in an absolutely incredible Spanish Supercopa. One of the second captain's team has had a pretty rough few weeks trying to nail down his big star guest for the start of the season. Have a listen. Lightning striking twice in 24 hours I mean, that would be unthinkable, surely. Actually, if anything, Mick was even better the second time round, and I was obviously delighted with life once again. And just as we're saying goodbye, at the end of the interview, I glanced down at the machine, and to my absolute fucking horror, I noticed the red recording button was no longer on, and the words card full have appeared from nowhere on the little display thingy. Card full! I was like, I didn't even know there was a damn card in the thing. Oh, poor Richie. I I can't get the image out of my head of him sitting on the floor of his kitchen with Bobby lying opposite his beloved dog, Bobby. Neither of them saying a word. Bobby not even barking. 
Uh, just trying to take in. That was after the second failed attempt, but he dusted himself off, got Mick McCarthy recorded, third time lucky. It was brilliant stuff. Mick was superb as ever, and you can hear that on the World Service this week, along last week indeed when, when it was done, along with Tyg Furlong, who was in studio being, just being Tyg Furlong. We're one of my favourite sports people, I think it's fair to say. Possibly one of yours as well. Yes. Uh, talking about, uh, well, a little bit about the lines, but I mean, we, we got past that pretty quickly. Five euro a month plus VAT. To get onto Whitty Island, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to say. Our trip to his uh, ancestral home. <laughs> uh, five euro a month plus fat. Secondcaptains.com. Details on how to join up to the World Service. Now, that's reporting some sport, please, Ken. So I guess we will start with that uh, Barcelona game. We were going to talk to Kieran Canning uh, a little bit later on, but it was absolutely amazing. So this is uh, uh, Super Cup. Nil all first half. Kind of tight. Barcelona looking pretty sluggish. Really miss a, missing a lot without Neymar. I mean, he was kind of. You see how much of the speed and kind of penetration of the team was was just coming from him. You know, without him, they just look slow. They're kind of playing in front of Real Madrid. They've got you know the best through ball player in the world in Lionel Messi, and he's got nobody to put through. There's nobody moving through. And Suarez, Suarez looking clumsy. Looking sluggish, look, you know, complaining about everything. He looks clumsy a lot of the time, though. He's a funny-looking player, mm. Suarez. Do you know? Do, do you know what I mean? It's not. He's, he's, he's never turning. Been this, turning he's never circles, been... getting a little, getting a little wide. I don't know what's going really? on with him. Yeah, because he he he's too young. There are times he you looks know, like, as though uh, he's, he's he looks as though he's doing the wrong thing. He looks as though he's falling over and he's suddenly sort of getting through. But sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, Tracy Chapman, car's own body's too young to look like his. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, what's happened to? Luis, you know, this guy used to be an absolute dynamo, and I'm not seeing that anymore. Um, uh, body, Cristiano Ronaldo's body uh, is in magnificent condition. Better at 32 than ever before. I mean, like we've never seen before. Uh, well, we've seen many times, obviously, because he's always taking off a shirt. This time he took off a shirt and held it up in the manner of Lionel Messi, uh, deliberately to mock him. And he um, got booked for that, and then moments later was booked for... A dive, which wasn't a dive, and sent off and then pushed the referee and could now apparently be banned for up to 12 matches. He won't be because he's Ronaldo, but it will be surprising if he gets banned for fewer than four matches. Just coming through, Ken. Yes. Ronaldo banned as you're speaking. For For five games, according to Graham Hunter. Five. So does that include the red card? One for red, four for ref push. I'm sure he will appeal. I've got sympathy for him on second yellow, says Graham. Yeah, so it'll probably end up being four matches because the... Yellow card that he got wasn't a yellow card, uh, and so they might, they, you know, it clearly wasn't a dive. I mean, Suarez is Suarez dived to win a penalty for Barcelona. PK um, scored an on goal to make it one uh, nil. First of all, to Madrid, then got destroyed by Ronaldo in the second goal, and destroyed then by Asensio for the third goal. So not a great, uh, not a great night for him, really. Um, they are now in a position where they've got to get somebody. I mean, this talk today have they have has this bid for Usman Dembele? But, I mean, they're, they're messing up the plans of other teams all around <laughs> Europe. Dortmund have had to suspend Usman Dembele because he didn't turn up for training. So they've said he's suspended until further notice. Coutinho obviously put in a transfer request on uh, Friday at Liverpool. But they've already said that they're not going to sell him. So but I kind of feel that people are having a pop. Other clubs seem to be having a pop at Barcelona for, as you're saying, destabilizing their plans. You know, Liverpool have come out and said, well, it's about timing, Klopp said. It's about timing. This timing is not going to work. They know that. The player knows that, so he's not going. But it's not exactly Barcelona's fault. Like, they didn't intend to be selling Neymar. So it's almost, it seems a bit 
rich of other, of other clubs to have a pop at them for trying to... Liverpool are still trying to destabilise Southampton. Southampton are probably going to try and destabilise somebody else to get a centre-half. Yeah. That's just the way it works. Although Liverpool have been diligently destabilising Southampton since way before the transfer <laughs> window even opened. <laughs> you know, according to the what you could read is the apology that they had to make for doing that. You know, at least Liverpool started the destabilisation uh, early yeah. instead of, you know, the transfer request going in the day before the season starts. Um but you know they they have already said we're not going to sell him, and now he you know he puts in a transfer request. Does that mean it's it's more likely are they going to have to go back on their word now and sell him? I think it's a big moment for them really as a club. You know, do they want to be a big club or do they want to be just a, a team that does what it's told and and you know wants to have lots of money in the bank? Because one thing is for certain, they will not be able to get any value for this money. No. Once they once they sell Coutinho, they will not be able to get a player as good as him, and. You know, who knows if they'll even be able to get players that they want. You know, Naby Keita is this guy they've been looking for. They failed to, to buy him for 70 million euros. Maybe they could get him for 100 million euros. You know, is he worth 100 million euros? If I'd, Liverpool I'd go surprised. in with 100 million euro and I'm the selling club there, I'm thinking, well, it'll be 120 then, lads. Well, here's well, here's the question. I mean, if you were in Liverpool's position, Barcelona offered you 150 million euros for Coutinho. Oh, yeah. What are you going to say? You've Now, you have said five days ago, under no circumstances, read my lips. He's going nowhere. I'll, I'll take the 150. You'll take the 150? Take 150, except that you mightn't be able to use that money too wisely right now. Take a season without Coutinho, do your best, and then go absolutely crazy next summer from the start. Do your business early. Although by next so summer, so by next summer 150 money. million won't even buy yeah. you a decent uh, holding midfielder. So you're thinking about this all wrong. Take like. the money, spend none of it. Yeah. And remain in Boston, Fan. hoping that nobody, <laughs> nobody finds the fa- you. The fans will love it. No, no, no. What, what you need to do is the, you you picked a number that seemed outrageous, 150 million. Yeah. So whatever number you think is outrageous, you then double, double that, that and ask for it. Yeah, that's 300 million. 300 yeah. million for Felipe Coutinho, and then we can talk. See, it strikes me as almost a deal which is bad for both sides. You know, in that Barcelona are not getting a player who's going to be able to replace Neymar. I mean, maybe he can sort of replace Iniesta, who's a player they actually still have. <laughs> and, you know, but he, but he's not going to be able to do what Neymar did for them. You know, he's he's also a brilliant player with through balls. They've already got Messi. You know, they need actually somebody to, to finish these moves. He's worth more to Liverpool than the money Barcelona could, could pay them because the money that they will they, they then seek to replace him with is... is First of all, everybody knows, can see them coming with their 150 million. And secondly, players on that level don't want to join Liverpool. You know, not at the moment anyway, because at the end of the day, they are, they are kind of a stepping stone club. You, the, only, the only kind of a Felipe Coutinho equivalent who would join Liverpool is a 19 or 20-year-old. I was know? going to say, why can't they find the next Felipe Coutinho? Well, they that's, all you know, that's the, the uh, 222 million euro uh, question you try to find. I mean, this is what this is. This is why you, you kind of look at the clubs at the moment spending this amount of money and go, "How can you not be trying to just find the the younger versions of these players?" I'm not even talking about necessarily getting them through your academy. I just mean being clever about buying young players. And you're still going to. You might have spent thirty million now on an eighteen-year-old, or that's a bit quaint. Probably a lot more than that. Yeah. But it might still be represent better value. It it just seems as though they need to start. Liverpool have need to decide what kind of a club they are. You know, are they are they like a money making like a salmon farm? You know, are they like a fish farm, where you get you you raise up young fish, fatten them up, and sell them off in order to go home with the money, or are they going to try and be a football club that wins some things? In order, if they want to do that, they need to have 
good players, if they want to be able to sign good players, they have to be able to say, you can come here and play with X. It's like, it's like Barcelona can say, look, you know, obviously you're going to join us. You get to play with Messi. Most players are excited by the prospect of doing that, you know. But Liverpool seem to sell any player that gets to that level before it could before it could happen. They, they're making more money than ever before. Uh, they've, you know, the, the TV deal, the Champions League, all of these uh, sorts of income coming in. Money they don't really need, you know. And are they going to just take it anyway? That's that's sort of the question for them. Um, uh, there was there was the issue uh, came a heated debate between Jamie Redknapp and Jamie Carragher. Did you see that? I think said there was a great deal of respect there. Uh, they were making different points about the uh, nature of the goals that Liverpool conceded against Watford. In Jamie Redknapp's opinion, it was not enough leaders. Tottenham, he gave an example of a team who defend well because they've got big defenders who get up there and want to head the ball. You could point out that Tottenham have you know one of the tightest, most uh, you know, uh, rigorously organized defensive systems in the league. But Redknapp is not really a systems guy. Uh, Jamie Carragher is more of a systems guy. He, he was expressing the opinion that if, essentially, if they signed Virgil van Dijk, it would just be Virgil van Dijk looking bemused. Okay. You know, oh, I can't believe what's happened there. Um, so look, that was that. But while all that stuff was happening between Barcelona and Real Madrid, there was another match going on, Owen. It was Paris Saint-Germain against Guingamp. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Is it, it most certainly is, Ken. And is anyone in this G-U-I-N-G-A-M-P. room going to correct us on that? They are not. I'm very happy with the Man of the Match award, but the most important thing was to win. Uh, it's very easy to play with players of this quality. It's very easy to play with this type of player, said Neymar. Does he mean his teammates or the opposition? He scored a goal to make it 3-0, and he set up a goal for Cavani to make it 2-0. The Cavani goal, he got the ball in midfield, looked up, played a straight pass between the midfield and the defence to Cavani, who scored. It's not the kind of through ball you see scything open defences that often in La Liga, but, you know, second, uh, or the rather the actual goal he scored, uh, the ball went out to the left side of the box. Neymar stood there unmarked at the front post for ages. Nobody was near him. Eventually, someone kind of ran over to, to mark him because they were like, oh, why are we also... It's like we're standing as though in a circle around Neymar, 10 yards away, this is the defenders, uh, while he's standing there close to our goal, somebody better go over to him. So one of the defenders eventually sort of shyly went over towards Neymar, at which point Neymar walked over to the space that that defender had just vacated. The ball was passed to him and he kicked it into the, into the net. So that's a goal. Um, he says, Je suis très serein. Les gens passent qu'on meurt en quittant le Barça. Moi, je suis plus vivant which means I'm very serene people think we die when we leave Barca I am more alive than ever now that I'm here so uh, it looks like Owen, he's going to score a lot of goals yeah and speak a lot of French well I don't know if he was speaking French oh, that might have been the French translation of his but I, I mean we should report his comments in French he's, yeah. he's, he's moved to France he's embracing the culture Mm. So, we mentioned Ireland beating Chelsea. Hammering Chelsea. Um, Captained by Stephen Ward. Yeah. Captaining I mean, the Irish contingent within the oh, team is what I'm talking about. The, team. Uh, the Chelsea uh, cap, uh, contingent, the team, I should say. Uh, captained by Gary Cahill. Uh, uh, a sort of blood, uh, blood-headed lion. Uh, he, uh, he ran upfield, chest thrust forward. 
and lost control of the ball and then ploughed uh, over the top of the ball into uh, Stephen DeFour and got sent off after 13 minutes. His balance models might actually have something to do with that extraordinarily upright posture with which he does everything on a football field. It's true. He does have... It's almost as though he's arching his back backwards, isn't it? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's almost like... Too you, know that, you know that feeling when you've been sitting down for a long time and you throw your shoulders like... Mm. Gary Cale walks around like that all the time. Well, he's out for the game against Tottenham. It's their next game. Fabregas then got sent off late on. Could have been sent off twice, Fabregas, actually. Um, but he, he it was just the one. So he will also miss this game against Tottenham that's coming up. Um, and they have started the season... I mean, it was the first time they'd ever been 3-0 down at, at home at halftime in the Premier League. Stephen Ward's goal was unreal. Not just the chest and on the run and volley into the top corner, but preceded by two one-twos as he worked his way into the box. It was ridiculous. Uh, and, a, and an amazing win for Bernie. Jeff Hendrick I wasn't so impressed by. Jeff Hendrick was kind of playing off the front man, Sam Vokes, who scored two goals. Now, bearing in mind they were up against 10 men, it was an easier-than-usual game to do something, and I don't think he really did enough. I, I kind of get the impression with Hendrick, he's technically, you know, I don't want to sit here slagging off, you know, a good young Irish player. Technically very good, but he needs to kind of do more in the game. Does it depend on his positioning, though? Because when, he, when he's played for Ireland in that position, further forward, I don't think he's really been at home doing it. No. He likes to be on... The, he wasn't playing there in the Euros, as far as I can remember. He's playing as kind of a traditional central midfielder yeah. and played really, really well. God has moved to Burnley. He hasn't really kicked on as much as you'd, you'd have hoped. Yeah, I mean, he and scored a brilliant goal. Remember the goal? He yeah. scored, he kind of, you know, tied the ball down and then knocked it in. I mean, he's and he's capable of doing that, but I, just, I wonder when I'm looking at him, I'm thinking, you need to do a lot more. There's no urgency here. So it's just a bit. Is it because you're not really, you don't know what you should do? Is it kind of looking around going, what? I'm I'll, not sure I'll, how to I'll make myself useful or whatever, here. Yeah. Or is it kind of just the lack of sort of proactive, you know, instincts. He doesn't really... Anyway, you know, it was, it was a little bit disappointed, but obviously great. I mean, one of the greatest wins in Burnley's history of the last several decades. Uh, I'm sure he was pleased enough at the end of, of the day. I'm sure he was. Um, Chelsea's weekend got worse when uh, Adam Crafton turned up at the house in Brazil of Diego Costa, who was watching the match. Uh, Diego Costa is in Brazil because he's obviously been exiled from Chelsea squad. So he's at least he was watching their game. It, Adam Crafton knocks on the door and says, oh, "Hello, um, I'm here. I'm wondering if maybe you, you talk to me about your situation." He says, "Sure, come on in." Huh, it's going pretty well for Chelsea, isn't it? Says Diego Costa, ironically looking at the three 0 down at halftime. <laughs> Adam Crafton's a Daily Mail journalist, right? Well, the story is in the Daily Mail. It's certainly he's he's. Uh, he, he has shown admirable initiative here and in going, just turning up the house and seeing what would happen. Diego Costa invites him in, talks to him about the whole situation. He did at least seem to be supporting Chelsea in the game. You'll be happy to know. <laughs> uh, he is friends with some of the Chelsea players. He mentioned William. William, who played very, really well. David Luiz and uh, Fabregas, uh, but not impressed with Conte. Describes him as, you know, cold, uh, uncharismatic. Uh, couldn't believe the way he's been treated. I've been treated like a criminal. Uh, I'll I'll stay here in Brazil for a year if I have to. Not getting paid, I don't care. Uh, you know, so doesn't sound as though things are going to be patched up, um, and not very complimentary about uh, Antonio Conte, who's got a lot of problems. So Pretty stunning problems. result of that uh, doorstop. You'd have to say the doorstopping of. <laughs> Come uh, on Diego. in. I mean, what are the odds, really? I mean, you're walking up to Diego Costa's 
front door. I mean, how likely do you really think it is that he's going to invite you in and give you like 45-minute running commentary of Chelsea's <laughs> I wouldn't catastrophic have first game in the Premier his, League? His dad, who comes in at one point, sticks his head around the door and is like, you know, Chelsea are losing 3-2 or whatever. And, and Diego Costa is like, well, come on, Dad. In fairness, they're two men down. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Dad. Give them a break. Uh, so Chelsea, Tottenham, uh, Tottenham beat Newcastle. Good performance again. Although Shelby helping him out by getting sent off. A lot of stupid sending his red cards over the weekend. Was there other ones? Oh, Ronaldo and, and Shelby. Well, Fabregas and Cahal, as we've talked about. Yeah, Cahal was just, Cahal was clumsy rather than stupid. Fabregas was deeply stupid. That was deeply stupid. Shelby was deeply stupid. Um, standing yes. standing on a on a lad's leg directly on his ankle directly in front of the referee. Like the, you could see the ref looking going, Are are you for are you serious? real? This is that stuff maybe that wasn't that violent, but it was definitely a red card and now I have to give it, it to was you. Violently stupid. Yeah. Um there was also the uh what was the other thing? Oh god. Wayne Bloody Rooney, Kent. Wayne Bloody Rooney, well we mentioned him. Absolutely amazing Ireland, celebration. He was just looking and going, Why did you ever leave? Would it not have been better if he hadn't ever left? No, no, it would have been worse. You think so? <laughs> well, by any metric. Well, by a trophies metric, sure. By a trophies metric. Oh, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Harry Kane, by the way, got away with one. I don't know if you saw. I mean, Rafael Benitez is standing right in front of it. He almost got taken out by this horrific scissors challenge. It by was Harry a Kane. forwards challenge, Ken. You know, they don't know how to tackle. <laughs> it was horrific. It was like grievous bodily harm. The, the opponent is well, had to be had to go off. I don't know how badly injured he is, but he couldn't he couldn't continue. Um, Harry Kane got away with that one, um, and then there was the Arsenal. You hear the that nobody scores goals from corners. It was four goals from corners in this game. It's two against two in the Liverpool Watford game as well. I think These corners are lethal uh, in the Premier League. The other thing is the Ireland squad has been announced. Shawnee Maguire in. Yes, it's the usual gigantic squad provisional. Um, so, you know, what can we really say about that one? Seems like you've just reported the news. Shawnee Maguire is in. That's the headline. Yeah, Paul Elliott, Paul McShane, Rob, Rob Elliott, I should say. Rob Elliott, who made a good save from Harry Kane for, for Newcastle today. Rob Elliott, Paul McShane. Greg Kieran, Cunningham's in. Kieran Clark, James McCarthy, Whoa. Stephen Quinn, David Myler, Shane Long, Kevin Doyle. All missed the games against Mexico, Uruguay, and Austria, but are all uh, in Matt Doherty, Liam Kelly, uncapped players, and Greg Cunningham, who had a nasty broken leg a while, a while ago, is back in the team. So in the provisional squad, hmm. which doesn't mean that they're going to be in the squad, but... We'll wait and see squad. again. Time will tell. Time will tell. Who knows what the future will be. That's it for today's <laughs> edition of the report. But it was going so well until just that last story. But it was, it was great. It was great. He agrees with plenty, just it's always who's saying it, it's never what's actually said. 90% of anything is who's saying this, and 10% is what are they actually saying. So, the 90% in Giles' case is, oh, it's that twat. John is the best football brain in the world. He just thinks I'm an annoying twat. I'd never let you do. But if you're talking about the, the, the press, which you're talking about, have this opinion of Guardiola, it doesn't necessarily mean that football people have. Yeah, I, I think I do like Ken Early's work. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently, but uh, I think he's wrong. The press come and go, as we know. You mentioned Ken Early. Well, yeah. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. 
thinks I'm an annoying twat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, what can you, what can you do? Can't please everyone. Real Madrid walked away from the first leg of the Spanish Super Cup at Camp Nou with a 3-1 win, and it looked as though Barcelona could be a bit screwed without Neymar. They seem to maybe drove home just how much they've actually lost in terms of what he gives to the team. Kieran Canning was watching it. Kieran, was that the sense you got watching them out there? Yeah, I think the sense that you got from the game overall was just the worrying thing for Barcelona is how much the gap appears to be growing between them and Real Madrid. I mean, last year, last season, there was a, a case to say with Neymar in the team that maybe wasn't that great a difference between both teams starting 11s or the, the first choice, but Madrid just had much greater strength and depth and, and that proved to be what won them the league you know over the, the course of the season but when you see last night um i mean barcelona are still clearly in a, a state of flux they haven't as yet well they've just signed polino today although i don't think he's been brought in as a as a neymar replacement they haven't been able to to sign a, a like for like replacement as they as they tried to get dembele and and coutinho over the past week um and i think what's Said more that that more than anything was the the reaction of Luis Suarez and, and Leo Messi in plenty of occasions in their own their own ways. You know Suarez quite uh, effusively complaining every time he didn't get the ball delivered perfectly to his feet as he would have wanted it, even if one of his teammates had had chosen you know the, a better option. Whereas Messi, at least for large stages of the first half, was kind of head down and, and struggled to get into the game. Um, he was being man-marked by, by Mateo Kovacic and once Kovacic went off, Messi kind of came alive and was clearly Barca's best player and his only hope um, in the second half. But it sort of emphasises that point that Barcelona are so dependent on Messi now that Neymar is gone, whereas on the other side, Real Madrid have the luxury of bringing Cristiano Ronaldo off the bench um, and he made a, quite an impact scoring and, and getting sent off. But it is that sensation that Madrid aren't dependent on Ronaldo in the same way that, that Barcelona clearly are on Messi. Yeah, and, and that de- that dependence is looking uh, worse than I, th- I thought it would be because I was I was amazed at how badly Luis Suarez played. I mean, you refer to his complaining. It was incessant. I mean, there was moments when they were... They were there was a moment, particularly in the second half, I remember, they were kind of breaking away and he thought he'd been fouled and it was like he, he started to complain to the referee rather than continuing in the move, even though it was obvious... He wasn't going to get anything. He, en- he ended up winning. Maybe the reason he doesn't get many decisions is because the decision he did get was the penalty, which was an outrageous dive by Suarez. So the referees know that, you know, this guy is probably trying to trick me here, but he just didn't seem to have his head in the game at all. They're going to need a lot more from him if they're going to cope with losing uh, Neymar. But he doesn't look as though he's, I mean, is it too soon to say this guy has passed his best? I mean, is he is he still able to... Could it? Can they still rely on him to, to be a big player for them this season? I think it's possibly too early to say that. I mean, we're only about a year removed from him scoring 60 goals in a season, I think. But I think that there is there's a, a fear there for Barcelona that not only have they lost some of the talent of Neymar, they've lost the only star player they have that was in the sort of prime age of their career. I mean, both Suarez and Messi are now 30. Um, obviously, had with a huge number of games and their legs as well. I mean, Messi more than Suarez because Suarez spent about three seasons being banned for about 10 games a season. Um, but, yeah, not you know, Suarez, Messi, PK is also 13, had a pretty torrid night last night. Iniesta is now 33 and you know, really looks as if he's he's starting to be on the, on the wane. Even bringing in, this is what I think makes the Paulinho signing even more ridiculous is he's another 
old that they've spent 40 million on. So there's just that real fear for Barcelona that this all their really key players are getting old all at the same time and no one really at the club, whether it be the, the fans or the players, trusts the board to bring in the replacements necessary um, for that sort of evolution to take place to move on to the next generation. We saw I mean, Busquets came out after the game and really put the pressure on the board saying it's pretty obvious that we need to sign no matter what. Um, but obviously that's, you know, it just puts more pressure on the board that's struggling as it is to find uh, value in a, in a crazy market. And I think that the fear for, for Barcelona fans would be that they just end up blowing all this Neymar money um, on sort of substandard replacements um, and the, the team just continues to get worse. And it's even more galling for them, as I say, when you see the fact that Real Madrid seem to have learned from their own galactical projects and, and have got significantly better in the in the past few years by signing good young mainly Spanish players um that are kind of coming through and displacing displacing some of the stars. I and mean, we saw Asensio scoring last night was kind of a case in point because three seasons ago Barcelona pretty much had a deal for him lined up um and then quabbled about how they were going to pay four million euros, whether they were going to pay it up front or in a series of instalments, and that allowed Madrid to jump in. And he now looks like a star that that could force people like well, maybe not Ronaldo, but certainly you know, Bale's place is going to become under under threat from him um over the course of the season. And Real Madrid have have done that countless times over the past few seasons. They signed Danny Ceballos um ahead of Barcelona this summer. They've got Teo Hernandez from Atletico Madrid. Um, Lucas Vasquez is another player that's, that's made an impact. So they've kind of moved on from this galactical model and managed to, and it's shown over the past couple of seasons, that it's had far better results. Can you pinpoint a moment at which Barcelona changed their ideas about what kind of club they were or how they ought to run this club? Because... You know they had been the, the model for the world, and they you know they weren't shy of talking about it themselves, talking about how great they were, what made them different, you know their identity, La, La Masia, all this kind of stuff. I mean, was there a moment at which they they lost sight of that that you can, uh, that you know looking back you can say okay that maybe is is where the tide turned because to to end up in this situation is so incompetent. You know it's just it's amazing, it, like. Barcelona's board maybe couldn't have been expected to foresee that Paris Saint-Germain would come along and buy out Neymar's, Neymar's contract for 222 million euros. I mean, that, that is like a, yeah, an unforeseeable or low probability event. But they know the age of all their players. You know, this is not secret information. They know Messi, Suarez are going to be over 30, Piquet's over 30, and yes, is getting to a certain age where they're going to have to think about replacing him, they just don't seem to have done anything about it. And now it's looking as though it might be too late to do anything about it. Yeah, and come back to your point of when did it change, and this might be a bit simplistic because uh, Juan Laporta, who was um, now two presidents ago, but was the, the president that brought in Guardiola and sort of oversaw that that first sort of the first two or three years of Guardiola's reign um, and was... You know, very much is very much a sport of Catalan independence. Very much pushed the idea of you know Mexican club and and La Masia. He was sort of deposed by Sandra Rosé, who's now currently in a Spanish jail cell um, over dealings um, to do with the selling of potential money laundering um, and the selling of the Brazilian national team's TV rights. And Rosé was the one that really pushed for the the Neymar 
signing, and I think from that point of view, you can see that he was he was trying. He was also the one that brought in the the Qatar sponsorship on the shirt, and that was that was a point where a lot of people, especially Barca fans themselves, um, felt as if club might be losing its religion a bit in in that sense and, and chasing the quick buck rather than sticking with these sort of principles that had lasted through generations. I also think in terms of the La Masia and the, the academy thing, it's very easy to, to say, yes, we blood our own young players when you have a sort of once-in-a-lifetime generation that you have PK and Messi and, well, coming through in PK and Messi in the same year, Iniesta and Xavi a couple of years before that. You know, th- these are, are guys that are clearly world-class players and so it's you know it's a bit easier to, to blood them um, and especially given at the time that they, they weren't replacing people of the, of the same stature of, the, of this um, Barcelona team. But yeah, I think that they've definitely been caught cold with the, the Neymar transfer. Neymar was the one that they pinned their hopes on in this idea of the transition. Um, he was going to be, in theory, the guy to, to lead the team if, if Messi and Suarez began to wane. And it's been shown up that their dealings in the transfer market over the past three, four years, when they have tried to to make the squad younger, have just not worked. I mean, last year they spent well over £100 million on guys that they said were going to come in and, and manage to, to share the load with the core of the team. They spent £30 million on Bakwakos, Alcacer, Forte on Andre Gomez. Um, two years ago they spent £40 million on Arda Turan. Now they've gone and spent £40 million on Paulinho and, and none of these guys really stand out as if they're really Barcelona players are going to be able to maintain the standards that Barcelona have set over the past decade. Well, they must be absolutely desperate now. I mean, they play so badly, they get beaten so badly by Real Madrid. You know, there's this whole uh, issue that they're, they're unused to dealing with this feeling of having been rejected by one of their own top players and feeling a bit insecure. And I can't imagine the desperation that they're that they're feeling um, in terms of who they, they they need somebody to come in and they need they need to you know they need this signing to work. But you know who's it going to be? Are they going to keep going for Coutinho? Are they going to go for Dembele? Are they going to uh, turn to Christian Eriksen? I mean, none of these guys is a Neymar or even really well, maybe Dembele, but most of them are not even really. They don't really play like him. They're not going to be able to replace what he does. It's um, what, what are they going to do? Yeah, I mean, PK himself said at the weekend that there is no Neymar in the market. There's no point trying to say we're going to sign a like-for-like replacement for for Neymar because that's why he costs. 222 million euros. Um, I think what the, the desperation you're pointing to there, a lot of people rubbing their hands, or especially directors rubbing their hands in Liverpool and, and Dortmund. Um, I think Dembele is possibly the more likely one, just just because of the fact that he's refused to train and been suspended, and his, his attitude towards it maybe allows Barcelona a bit of bit room for negotiation. I think they might get they'll probably get Dembele over the line, whether they go and really splash out and spend all the Neymar money in trying to get Dembele and Coutinho at the same time because I think they see Coutinho as a player that can either play in the Neymar position or um, can be the, the heir to Iniesta as well in midfield and possibly have Dembele taking the, the Neymar position. But yeah, they've just got themselves into into a situation where they're going to have to spend a ludicrous amount of money. I mean, they're going to end up spending even more if they get Dembele and Coutinho, they're going to end up spending even more than, than what they got for Neymar um, and for an inferior player. And it comes back to that point I made at the start that Real Madrid are Spanish and European champions and seem to be getting better, whereas uh, Barcelona are going backwards. 
Okay, Kieran Canning, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. I'll give you the unvarnished account of what happened, will I? There was a train at like one o'clock back to Paris. Arrived at the station in Saint-Étienne before that train was due to go to find utter bedlam. The seat numbers weren't being respected. It was with an air of foreboding. I went to find Place 41 and, as I expected, it already contained a tired-looking England fan, Geordie man, probably in his late 20s. He knew why I had come, and I looked at him sternly and waggled my ticket and said, Sorry, mate, it's actually my seat. And he said, Sorry, mate, we've actually just been told to sit anywhere. The seat numbers don't count. Basically, tough shit. I've sulked and stomped around a little bit and complained and sent angry text messages to people who didn't care. Then I thought, there's no point in just sitting here. Who knows what might happen? Possession was now 100% of the law. You have to go and find someone else whose seat you can take. So I started walking along the train and in the very end carriage there was a couple of empty seats. Huh. I thought, that's interesting. I went on to the first empty seat I saw and tried to sit down. The England fans there said, sorry mate, our friend's there. So I said, okay, moved up, went to the next empty seat, sat down, guy next to it, no complaints. Well, the situation seems to have changed. I'm now one of the haves rather than the have-nots. A few minutes later, as I suspected it might, previous other seat came along and said, sorry mate, that's my seat. And I said, sorry mate, my seat is actually Watcher 12 Class 41, but there's someone sitting in it. So I just came and sat in this seat, which, which is unoccupied. There's a lot of us in the same boat. And he said, but that's ridiculous. I've just gone to the canteen and I got this RNG net. And I said, I know, I'm really sorry. It's really unfair. The system is a total shambles. He walked away saying the word tosser. I felt bad for the guy. Maybe he didn't realize that he was in the jungle. He still thought he was on the train, but this was actually a jungle. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I can't really complain about that characterization of my behavior at this moment. However, I do have a seat and I don't think anyone saw. So Dunphy was right. Dunphy was right about what? Riding off Barcelona and Leo Messi. Right. He got, he got in there first. <laughs> well, I, I, I think I still have faith in Leo Messi. I do. But Barcelona look in a bad place at the moment. Just a bad. There's, just, there's not really an overall plan there anymore. Mm. Neymar was the plan. You know, that was. As long as they had those three players, you know, were sort of working together and complementing each other very well. Um, because I do, I do think they sort of fit well together. But suddenly you take away the kind of the quick one, who's, uh, who's sort of a threat from far back up the field, and suddenly it's like, oh my God, what, what have we got? I've never seen Messi look so wise. Well, I say I've never. That's not true. If you remember Messi playing for Barcelona in 2008, 07, 08, when the, towards the end of the Frank Reichard uh, time when, when Ronaldinho had really collapsed and the team was not really coming together. He did look isolated then as well, but it was a bit different. He, he didn't have the same status that he now has. He wasn't, you know, universally recognized as, as the world's greatest. And so the teammates didn't look like such sort of little, little players by comparison. And he looks like he's surrounded by a lot of Subutio players at the moment. Mm -hmm. And this is, a, this is an unstable situation. Speaking of little players, Richard Jolly was at Old Trafford yesterday to watch Man United soar to the top of the table after one game. Richard, we had a Premier League preview night during the week where Ken described the squad that Mourinho was assembling there as being like a bunch of hulking rugby players, but they picked the little guys yesterday, or at least a good few of them, and had a thumping win. Were you surprised by the type of football, the quality of the football they played? I wouldn't say surprised, no. I mean, I think it was quite impressive. Uh, they were certainly more attacking than they have been. Uh, the fact that it was the 
the first time Jose Mourinho had, had won a Premier League game as United manager by four goals was significant. But I also, I always regard Mourinho as a kind of, as football's great pragmatist. And for him, the pragmatic thing was to be attacking. Because if you look at United last season, where they really fell short in the Premier League was at Old Trafford, where they only won eight games, they only scored 26 goals. And even if you just look at it mathematically, that's the easiest way to make up the shortfall on the teams above them. And in particular, they needed to beat teams like West Ham at home, and not just West Ham, but Bournemouth, Burnley, West Brom, Hull, Swansea, all the other sides who got draws at Old Trafford. And the way to do that was partly, as you, as you mentioned, with the small creative players like Matter and Mkhitaryan, partly was just with the sheer quantity of attacking players, because I think it, if you include Pogba, it's five attacking players there. And partly is with that new goal threat of Lukaku and with the pace that I think brought comparisons with United's past and which they haven't really had in recent years, whether because Ibrahimovic, while scoring a lot of goals, is certainly not electric or because before then Van Hal's style of football was so slow. So I think it was a combination of, of all of those things. But I think it's just Mourinho is not one of football's inveterate attackers. He's not the new Kevin Keegan. But he just recognises that that's the way United have to play a bit more at Old Trafford. I was reading yesterday morning uh, Graham Souness in the Sunday Times, uh, who was he was saying he was he was a bit sceptical about Manchester United, saying that they can't win titles with this style. And he talked a bit about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and he, in a, in a fairly typical Graham Souness line, he said, "Ibrahimovic can be described in two words: big player." And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he was like, uh, he he said Ibrahimovic scored twenty eight goals last season. You know, he hasn't got the credit he deserves. I kind of wondered to myself, really, I mean, you know, Ibrahimovic did score plenty of goals, but he was the only focal point of the, of the attack of the team, which is maybe why they didn't really score that much as a team. Did you see evidence yesterday that Lukaku is going to provide a, a you know, more multidimensional kind of style of play for, for United? Definitely. I think, I think if you look at Lukaku's two goals, the second goal was the goal that Ibrahimovic could have scored, heading in the Mkhitaryan free kick. The first goal was the one that Ibrahimovic really wouldn't have scored with the pace of the counter-attack, uh, the run from Marcus Rashford and Lukaku's run in behind. And I think it's the combination of those things that mean that Lukaku firstly can score so many goals but also has so much potential. Uh, but just going back to Graeme Souness's point about Zlatan Ibrahimovic, I see where he's coming from where he says he's a big game player and where he says that 28 goals was quite an achievement. But in many respects, he had a very odd season at United because he scored a lot of goals. He scored some important goals. He also had some games where he would miss chance after chance after chance. Uh, the nil-nil draw at home to Burnley last autumn was a case in point. And then if you look at Lukaku, he's got this reputation for maybe not being such a big game player. But perhaps what United needed was a really efficient small game player. And if you look at that run of games he had at Goodison Park, where he became the first Everton player to score in nine consecutive home matches since Dixie Dean in the 1930s, only one of those matches was against top opposition in Manchester City. The other eight were games against teams like Leicester and Bournemouth and West Ham, those sorts of teams, the sorts of games that Manchester United weren't winning last season. 
So we could just give them that extra dimension just in terms of efficiency in winnable home games. A great attacking performance, or at least a great scoreline, which may be owed a lot to the introduction of a primarily defensive player. I mean, Nemanja Matic was man of the match. Um, how did it look? How did his influence on the game look from your point of view? Hugely impressive. I think he, he barely wastes a pass. Um, he's picked, he takes the right option a lot of times. Uh, he wins the ball back. He reads the game very well. But I think it's also, like you say, just in terms of the fact that a defensive player can make them more attacking. And I think that the, what you'll probably see from United in the tougher games and the away games is three players in the centre of midfield with Matic, with Pogba, with Ander Herrera. But they always had this situation last year of can they play with Pogba in a central duo? And a lot of the time they struggle to do so. If Matic can do all the donkey work and always sweep up behind Pogba to give Pogba that license to go forward, then Pogba can play in a duo, particularly in those home games. And that in turn allows United to pick the extra attacking midfielder, which yesterday would have been maybe Mata. He might have been the one that missed out if they played three central midfielders. So if Matic can kind of do one and a half players work, shall we say, that means United can pick extra attacking players. Yeah, and the Matic thing had looked strange even in pre-season. Richard, I saw Duncan Castles, he's an admirer of Jose Mourinho's work. He tweeted that signing the Mania Matic has won six Premier League points for Jose Mourinho, three at Old Trafford and three at Stamford Bridge. How central do you think this one player could end up being to the to, to the Premier League this season for both those clubs? Potentially very, very big. I mean, I think if you look at all Mourinho teams, they've all had a a typical Mourinho defensive midfielder, which Manchester United didn't have last season. Uh, in, I mean, in, in the case of Matic, he, he gives size as well to this huge, great United side. Um, and whereas last year, even though Michael Carrick played pretty well, he is not a typical Mourinho player. I mean, it is interesting that it does appear that United actually wanted Eric Dyer before Matic, which is not something Mourinho is mentioning every time he goes on about how he always thought Matic was the perfect player for United and how he knew from day one they needed a Matic-type player. Mm. But to look at the Chelsea angle, I think part of the blow there is psychological, and Chelsea are making it more psychological every time that Antonio Conte talks about Matic being a great loss. I mean... In one respect, it's unfortunate for them that we haven't had the chance to see Bakayoko, who is his replacement. In the long term, maybe Bakayoko will prove to be the better signing just because he's younger. But I'm not necessarily saying Matic will cost Chelsea points. I think that the Bakayoko deal, he was partly perceived of maybe even an upgrade on Matic, certainly someone who will dovetail well with Kante. So I don't think it's literally the fact that Chelsea have lost Matic. I think it's the overall context, the fact that his replacement's injured, the fact that they've got rid of virtually everyone else who remotely resembles a central midfielder, the fact that Fabregas, in an act of criminal stupidity, contrived to get himself sent off and suspended for the Tottenham game, and now, frankly, Conte might have to pick himself in centre midfield against Tottenham. So I think I think it's all of that, and it's Chelsea's mindset more than the actual loss of, of Matic as a player, a good player as he is. Yeah. I mean, I can see that there's a sort of uh, already... I can see the outline of an argument emerging that, well, uh, sort of Jose Mourinho or or his disciples, let's say, uh, saying, well, you see, this is what we said was happening in 2015-16 when uh, they had what Conte referred to as the Mourinho season, this this meltdown season when when Jose got sacked in December, um, that it wasn't really Jose's fault, 
it was because the club had failed to bring in the players that he'd wanted. And look at what they've done this summer. It's exactly the same. And this is a chronic problem at that club. And Conte is now experiencing the same, uh, the same issues. And, and actually, this absolves Jose Mourinho of the worst season of his life. I mean, is there anything uh, in that, do you think? I think that certainly suits Mourinho's narrative. I mean, the thing is, is that there's no... There's no defence from going for going from first to tenth, even if the club doesn't bring in the players you wanted. I think Conte is using that narrative quite well as well at the moment to try and give the impression that it's not his fault. Whereas I think there are a lot of similarities with with that Mourinho summer in the way of talking yourself into trouble and creating this atmosphere of negativity, which then gets reflected on the pitch and in the results. And yet... The one, one significant difference I would say between those two summers and which gives Conte maybe less of an excuse than Mourinho is that Mourinho only really got one even semi-first choice player in that summer of 2015 who was Pedro. Conte's got three quite big players in, three quite expensive players in, in Morata, in Rudiger and Bakayoko. Well, obviously, we've not seen Bakayoko play yet. Conte, is, at the moment, is making Morata the world's most expensive super sub. Rudiger wasn't maybe his first choice in centre-back. I'm sure he would have preferred Leonardo Bonucci or maybe Van Dijk. But he's still a, a £35 million German international. Mourinho does have... You, you can understand Mourinho in the sense of you look at some of the people Chelsea signed in 2015 and it was Baba Rahman and it was Papi Gilabodji and Michael Hector and, uh, and, and Radamel Falcao when he couldn't move. And that really was a disastrous recruitment drive. And I think Chelsea certainly don't seem to buy into the idea of you win the title and then you strengthen. But as I say, I still I still think that Mourinho talked himself into trouble. Conte is talking himself into trouble, and they can't quite they can't just use a failure to sign absolutely everyone you want as an excuse. Yeah, exactly. Quit sulking and get on with the job. Might be the might be the call there. Listen, brilliant stuff, Richard. Thanks a million. Yeah, no problem. I do like Ken Early's work. I do like Ken Early's work. I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. I'm mad, but I ain't stressed. He writes fluently and thinks uh, cogently. You mentioned Ken Early, but I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. He thinks he's really twat. I was listening to the Chelsea game on the radio, Ken. Yeah. On Today FM. Uh, Brian Kerr and co-commentary. I listened to a bit of it myself, Alan. Okay, yeah. The, en- the end bo- of it. We were both on the road, as they say. Uh, indeed. I, I, I'd watched uh, most of it, but I uh, I departed at, I think, 3-1 and 10 men. So, so you, I, I think I know which way this is yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. You might have heard the point that Kerr made a couple of times about Conte's management style when things aren't going well. Yeah. He feels that Conte's a great man for the theatrics on the sideline yeah. when his team is 1-0 up. But when they're when he knows they're going to lose, which hasn't happened much with Chelsea, or just they're in a, 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 a tricky place, he kind of just sits there sullenly, arms yeah. crossed, and doesn't really do anything. Would you have you picked that up? Uh, I think it's something that I agree with. Now that Brian Kerr has mentioned it, I don't. Uh, I, I haven't. It's not like I've been thinking that before. Ah, here we have very timid Conte, quiet, placid, docile Conte. You know, he's because he's losing. He doesn't want to be visible. I mean, Mourinho did remember. Take him aside for a word in his shell, like after the you know when he was he was trying to get the Chelsea fans to cheer more because they were four 0 up against Man United, and Mourinho told him, 
don't ever do that again. <laughs> and, you know, that's that it is quite interesting to see what's going to happen there because it's going to be so. Diego Costa had mentioned that Mourinho had been on the on the blower to him. Oh, Diego, can't believe the way you've been treated. Tell us what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and there's going to there's going to be a lot of that. I think uh, going. You, did you see Mourinho talking about the Tottenham players recently? Danny Rose. Uh-huh. Well, he, I mean, so Danny Rose had complained. Oh, I should be getting paid more. I mean, he was like, well, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to talk about this because I know that Mr. Pochettino won't like if I talk about this, and I know that Daniel Levy won't like if I talk about this. So I don't want to talk about that whole situation with Danny Rose. But like the Danny Rose thing is, <laughs> you know, I want more money, and he's being linked with a move to Man United. You know what I mean? So he's just kind of fanning this flame. Um, all the Spurs players are not are being underpaid relative to the players elsewhere in the league. You know, they they're all sort of on these. I don't want to say zero hours arrangements, but you know it's kind of it's 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 a rough setup compared to what they could earn anywhere else. For instance, mm-hmm. at Manchester United, who actually have a slightly lower wages to turnover ratio than Tottenham, but because their turnover is so enormous, they still have the biggest. They still spend more in their squad than any other team in the league. So a player such as, for instance, Harry Kane, who currently plays for Tottenham and earns, you know, just over five million pounds a year. If he was playing for Manchester United, well, let's just say Romelu Lukaku is earning a lot more than that. And there are opportunities out there for these players. But Jose doesn't want to talk about that. He wouldn't like to talk about it because Daniel Levy wouldn't like it if he talked about that. Daniel Levy would not like Jose Mourinho to be talking about how little Tottenham players are getting paid compared to what they could earn if they played for a big club such as Manchester United. Daniel Levy wouldn't like that. Maurizio Pochettino wouldn't like that. Maurizio Pochettino wouldn't like it if Jose Mourinho was to come out and say, do you realise how little the, how much Spurs are, are taking the piss out of these guys? <laughs> you know, not only have they not won anything in years, but they're really, you know, these, these guys are working. And when I see them work so hard in the field, they run more than everybody in every, you know, compared to the players on my team, barely ran at all that season. And they got paid way more. <laughs> I mean, if we look at it in terms of pounds per metre covered, you know, it's, the gap is even more uh, cruel for Tottenham. But, but you know, Mauricio Pochettino and, and Daniel Levy wouldn't like if Jose Mourinho was to talk about that. So I don't think we'll be hearing too much more on that theme of the Spurs players all not getting paid enough compared to other clubs from, for instance, Jose Mourinho. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks so Thank much for listening. Doing. If you're part of the World Service, we will chat to you during the week. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.